electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I do you want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. It's a jailbreak! That's how I felt about today's run. Dow advancing 146 points. S&P climbing 0.69%. NASDAQ getting 0.83%. This kind of rally is unlike anything we've seen in ages because it was based this time almost everything but tech. It was a pretty glorious advance. Bye, bye, bye! For weeks, I've been telling you just to own stocks, right? Because you can't wait for the all-clear jailbreak that happened today. You can't fight the positive tape. At the same time, you know the rally's no longer early when it broadens out like this, especially in an overbought market, and we are now officially in one. So I don't want to get all bulled up this late in the move. And yeah, we are late in this particular move, and you know I'm long-term bull. The big money's being made right now. But it's also being made on the order of sacrifice tech because there isn't enough cash to go around to have this broad in advance without something being sold. And it might be your stocks. Let me explain this moment. Because these days, well, they're, they're like no other. They're, like These days are often when the most money can be made, something I'll be discussing tomorrow at our monthly CNBC Investing Club call. But first, let me give you the setup. This morning, we came and we got a benign consumer price index number. It was soft and sweet with just a handful of too hot entries. That's okay. Showing that the Fed continues to win its battle against inflation, as I have predicted endlessly on this show, because I told you that Jay Powell is a winner. Even though we don't know the results of tomorrow's meeting, it's obvious to me that there's a nice trajectory here that could produce the kind of soft landing we all want. A gentle touchdown without much awareness. Then you go off the jetway, boom. What a great trip. Now, the recent run is quite unexpected because everyone's terrified of what's known as the yield curve. Oh, I think it's a tiresome concept by now, but when longer-term rates out, say, 20 years, are equal to or much lower than short-term rates as they are now, that's supposed to signal that we're going to have a recession no matter what. Long rates typically don't go below short rates unless people really feel awful about the future. So call it a hard landing, what everybody's looking for, a hard landing. 
The whole bond market is still betting that we'll have a recession, a bad one, and the Fed will be cutting rates furiously at the end of the year. That's fanciful to me. But there's no denying that is the betting favorite. Ever since the bottom in October, I've been telling you this whole rally is predicated on the idea that even if we have a hard landing, the mega cap tech stocks will do just fine. House of pleasure. They've got tremendous balance sheets. And their products aren't all that economically sensitive. They'll do fine. You know what? I don't call them nation states for nothing. They're nation states because they're separate from the U.S. economy. But once we get to a point where it looks like the Fed really doesn't need to throw us into a recession, then the money comes out of tech and goes to the rest of the market. And that's what happened today. The money also comes out of bonds, and they were for sale all day. Now, does it make any sense on a day when inflation looks like it's under control, or at least more under control, that there's money coming out of the bond market? Shouldn't interest rates be going down? Well, look, in a normal market, yes, but you have so many people betting on a recession that it's beginning to look like they all have to switch and switch at once. That leaves bonds down, rates higher, and stocks higher still. I've railed against those who believe that the Fed will be cutting interest rates by the end of the year. I think they're so wrong that they'll roil the market when they unwind their positions, which is what they started to do today. But that's basically what we saw. Uh, that's what that Treasury sell have told me. People also streamed out of those one- and two-year treasuries that were so loved. They're feeling the pain of not being in the stock market, too. See, they thought they were so smart picking up that 5% for nothing. Turns out it wasn't nothing. It was 5% at the cost of sitting out of one of the greatest stock market rallies I have ever seen. And that's why we had today's bullish jailbreak. Now, traditionally, this is the part of the rally that I actually don't care that much for. We've had weeks upon weeks upon weeks of strength. That meant nothing to so many of these supposed experts. It was led by a small group of large cap tech stocks. So what? These days, shares are mostly bears who missed on the move, and they need to come up with any reason to justify why they, were, why they aren't in, why, why they weren't wrong. In reality, you know what they are? I've been thinking and thinking and thinking. Losers. And I just use that word because they're losers. This is a business of winning and losing. You win when your stocks go higher and you make money. Okay? You lose when your stocks go lower and you lose money. Hard? Let me further analogize. Let's say the NFL. Let's say we're in that. That's true gold standard business, not football. Business. In NFL terms, this market's been winning for months. But they were ugly wins. Close game wins. Wins that because they have fewer penalties, fewer unforced errors. Sure, the winner spotted the loser 5% at the beginning of every single contest, but they got nothing for it because a W is a W. Today, we saw the flaw in the argument of trying to get an L and still make money because when we got a softer inflation number, money managers know they need to move fast through the rest of the market. The non-techs, whatever's still not up, you know, they need to start covering their short positions at Carvana, the upstart, the SoFi, buy the big industrials where there aren't a lot of shares outstanding. So the next thing you know, what happens when you try to buy stocks where there's not a lot of shares outstanding? You pay 19 up 19 points for United Rentals, up 11 points for Deer. You pay up seven points for Caterpillar. You pay up almost six points for Nucor, the steel company. You, it's because you were waiting for the all clear. You're now chasing these stocks that have already roared. Carvana, Upstart, GameStop. They're not suddenly great. It's a short throwing in the towel. But suddenly we have money streaming out of tech because people have big gains there and they want to move them into these newly enticing cyclicals, the industrials. You have money flowing from the bond market because there may be no recession and the opportunity cost of collecting 5% interest, well, to do nothing, seems a lot higher. Ugly wins work. But if you want to come in right now when we're overbought, when we've already had such a huge move, to me that makes you vulnerable. I don't think you make all that much money coming in here. At this point, you have to wait because the Johnny come lately's are not destined for big gains. They never are. The relatively easy money in this rally has been made. 
versus Caterpillar. Where was it on May 31st? Uh, how about 206 bucks? Okay. Oh, everyone told me that Caterpillar, severe recession. You've got to stay away from Cat no matter what. Now, it's 13 days, 13 days later. Okay. It's 245. And suddenly, I, I, I didn't like it at 206, but at 245, I love it. Maybe I'm crazy, but I liked it a lot more when it was 40 bucks cheaper. Look, I like a ton of stocks. I think you can find good buys in many sectors. I can see why people even wanted to buy the banks. If we're going to have a soft landing, you do want Morgan Stanley. You do like J.P. Morgan. There's nothing wrong with Wells Fargo. It's terrific. I can understand why people want to buy the beaten down retailers. I mean, Target's pretty low, don't you think? But, man, if you think you can come in at these levels and make a great deal of money, history says you'll be disappointed. Sure, maybe when the Fed meets tomorrow, they'll sound an all clear, right, that the strategists keep hoping for. Hey, you know what? Maybe J-Pal says, you know, it's time to buy Disney. Or maybe he tells you to swap out NVIDIA and buy some Intel. Crazier things have happened, although those seem unlikely. However, I think you're much better off waiting a bit now for the S&P 500 oscillator from Market Edge to come down a little. It's an overbought territory. Or put it another way, the big-time strategists are finally beginning to warm up this market. They'll be all over the market tomorrow to tell you to buy. They just need to see all 500 stocks in the S&P 500 to move up, and then they'll tell you to pass. Maybe they need all 600 stocks in the S&P 500 to move up before they'll tell you to bounce. I'm simply saying the risk reward has shifted. The sideline money wants in because they didn't count the sloppy wins we've had for months. The bottom line, when the standings are posted, those who came in today are truly the people who believe they didn't miss Caterpillar. They didn't miss Apple. They didn't miss Microsoft. They didn't miss Oracle. They didn't even miss NVIDIA, my dog. And you know what? They did. They are late to the party here. Yet somehow they've convinced themselves that they're early. They're the ones who'll be wearing the lampshades on their heads, passing out on the couch. Me? I hate being the last to party. Cal, Illinois. Cal. Oh, hello, Jim. Cal, how are you? Good, good. Been watching you forever on uh, CNBC. I've been on forever. Uh, Yeah, before they even had TV, I was doing this show. Incredible. I was on radio. What's up? Yeah, in 2005... You recommended buying Google with very strong words like you have to buy it, you have to buy it. So I my put it on my fingers, is, I wore it on my head. I did everything I could to get in. They all laughed. They all laughed. It was like Carrie with John Travolta. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I didn't cut off Carol, did I? I still like Alphabet. I mean, what? I'm a Chapel Trust owns it. I like it. We'll talk about tomorrow. What? Oh. Nasty. How about Hunter in Virginia, please? Hunter. Booyah, Jim. It's a great day in Cramerica. First time caller here. Watched yes. the show with my future in-laws, George and Elaine. have been watching you since 2005. As an eBay shareholder with an average share price of $54, would you continue with dollar cost averaging given their long-term growth prospects? No. eBay doesn't have the kind of growth that I want. Nor does I'm going to give you a twofer. I don't like PayPal either. No growth means no buy. Money losers mean no buy. Let's go to Barbara in New Jersey, please. Barbara. Hey, Jim. It's Barbara from New Jersey. I've been watching your show for years. My question pertains to Exxon stock. I have a sizable investment in Exxon stock, and I see there's really been no movement, even with the tightening in the oil. Here, right. so I'm wondering, should I hold or sell? No, no, Exxon's just a good, solid company. You want to buy some, even if it comes in. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the oils here, but I do think that down lower, they're going to be fine. I see the government's actually kind of doing a little buying. I don't want to sell the oils here. That doesn't make sense. All right, a lot of people came in today, and I think that they're late to the party. I like to be earlier to the party. I think it's more fun. If you think you can come at these levels and make a great deal of money, good for you. 
Uh, history says you'll be disappointed, but that's okay. Come everybody tonight. There's a big tasty IPO in the works. I'm taking a closer look at Kava ahead of the public list to see if the investors should take a bite of the Mediterranean food chain. Dylan's got some footage. But first, the IPO market has some seemingly stalled the last 18 months. I'm seeing where Kava fits in and what it could mean for the IPO market as a whole. And just ahead, key Fed decision. Could the market continue to have legs? I'm going off the charts with the S&P to see what's going to happen. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. For nearly a year and a half, the IPO market has been more or less closed. We still get some deals, but there aren't many of them, and they don't seem to be impactful enough to entice some new buyers. Perhaps because everyone still remembers how they got burned by the IPO boom of 2021. What a wasteland that turned out to be. However, it only takes one, one high-profile deal to get people excited again and effectively reopen the IPO window. That's right, just one big bang IPO. And we just might get that later this week. At the very least, we're looking at an important test case. And I'm talking about Kava, the Mediterranean restaurant chain. This deal is expected to price tomorrow night with the stock opening for trading on Thursday morning. Assuming everything goes as planned, and this Kava IPO could be the game changer. And certainly will be if you're in on it. In other words, if you can get the actual stock on the actual price, but that's very hard to procure. First off, quietly, the number of deals has already been on the rise. So far this year, we've had 44 IPOs, up 22% from this time last year. And those deals had total proceeds of roughly $7.3 billion, which is up nearly 85% from last year. That's a heck of a lot more money. We're getting fresh deals that are a lot more enticing than the garbage that kept coming public near the end of 2021. When the previous IPO boom went 
bust. Of course, these stats come with some caveats. Sure, total proceeds are up almost 85% year over year. But you know what? That number was skewed by one enormous deal when Johnson Johnson spun off its massive consumer health division as Kenvy. This is one of the largest IPOs in multiple years. The Kenvy spinoff raised $3.8 billion. Boy, does that skew the numbers, right? More than half the total IPO proceeds year to date. So if you took it out, we're not looking so good. Other than the occasional spinoff deal, we're mostly seeing smaller deals. Forget this. Uh, example, 44 of the deals we've seen year to date, only 12 of them raised more than $100 million. Pittance. The other 32 all raised less than $50 million. Unfortunately, the majority of these IPOs are foreign companies that are eager to get a piece of the U.S. capital market. In fact, we've had nearly as many Chinese IPOs IPOs is American IPOs, 14 Chinese deals versus 18 domestic deals. Hey, maybe that's the gigantic stimulus that the PRC keeps talking about. At the same time, these IPOs haven't exactly been catching fire, although they're not doing too terribly either. Of the 44 deals this year, only 19 of these stocks are currently trading above their offer price. I find that pretty poor. That said, the largest IPOs are very much better. Of the 12 deals that raised more than $100 million, nine of them are above their offer price. So while there's still some appetite for larger deals, there's much less appetite for the smaller ones. That's okay. We're going to clear that up with Kava. I'm going to go into the specifics of the Kava deal after the break. What, it's, what to do, what it's worth, whether you should buy it in the aftermarket. But for now, I really want to talk about the dynamics of the IPO market using Kava as kind of an example, because that may be the most important factor. It's been so long since we've had good IPOs, you need a refresher. See, I feel pretty confident the Kava deal will be hot. This is the first high-profile IPO in a long time, so you have to expect the underwriters to make sure the deal is priced properly which means they'll price it at a level where the stock can pop on the first day of trading. Giving everyone who got a piece of the actual offering a nice instant profit. Don't you like that? That's like the old days. The underwriters do this because they want to lure you back into the IPO casino. If the Kava IPO gives you a big spike, that may open the door for many more deals down the line. And they want investors bidding for those future deals, too. Hey, I'll take this and then you can get that one. You know how it works. That's how much is on the line here. Remember, there's a cycle to the IPO market. At first, the underwriters need to tempt you with quality merchandise at relatively low prices. Kava! Then once everybody's eager to pour their money into the next deal, they start bringing the lower quality merchandise. Because excited buyers will take anything, right? And then we get flooded with the garbage, like we saw in 2021. And the whole IPO edifice collapses under its own weight. (laughs) Finally, we come full circle. And after a fallow period, the brokers try to lure you back in all over again. We're at the very beginning, where fairy tales can, um, can come true. It can happen to you if you get some kava. There's another key aspect of the kava story. This is a popular restaurant chain, which means lots of home gamers will likely want a piece of it, especially the satisfied customers. And there are millions of them. And if you're buying a stock because you like the restaurant, you might be willing to pay more than it's worth. The big money managers who tend to get shares in the actual IPO will anticipate this. So I'm assuming they'll ask for large allotments, big allocations. They want as many shares as they can get. But because Kava's only offering 14.4 million shares, just 13% of his post-IPO share count, a virtual sliver, these institutional money managers will only get a fraction of what they need. The thing is, these guys are never satisfied with a small allotment, grease. But anyway, because what's the point of owning a tiny position that's way too small to move the needle for your portfolio? And that's why I expect them to buy more shares in the open market on Thursday, right alongside everybody else. Despite paying more for that stock, they'll still have a good cost basis. Remember, they got shares in the actual deal. They pay in the aftermarket. You average them together much lower than where the stocks go out at the end of the day. Put it all together. 
When you look at the dynamics of the IPO market, I'm betting Kava will do great on Thursday. However, that could be a real dangerous situation if you decide to jump in uh, with, the, with stock without knowing anything about the underlying business. If Kava comes out of the gate way too hot, I mean like steaming hot, there's a very good chance you're going to end up getting burned. So let's give you examples of what I'm talking about. How about Sweetgreen? Right? Remember a couple of Georgetown guys, the Hoyas, the Saxes? It came public near the end. Came public near the end of 2021. The salad chain stock priced at 28 bucks, already a few bucks above the proposed range. Then exploded higher on the first day of trading, opened at 49.50. We're trading all the way to 56.20 at its first day high. Of course, that was the last gasp of the IPO boom. And Sweetgreen peaked right there, plunging all the way to six bucks. Six dollars and ten cents. Let's give me the extra ten cents at its lows a couple of months ago. Even now, it only trades at ten dollars and change, down more than eighty percent from its first day high. I don't think Cobb is going to be anywhere near that extreme because we're at a very different point in the IPO cycle. Remember, we're trying to entice now, but it's something to keep in mind. We saw similar huge spikes followed by the sickening declines in both Dutch Bros and Portillos, which came public in September and October twenty-one. Uh, 2021, respectively. Now, I love the Dutch Post concept, but the stock's still down more than 60% from its early highs. There was absolutely no percentage in buying these red-hot restaurant names too early. They crushed you. If you look further back, Shake Shack came public in January 2015, near the end of the previous IPO cycle, and this was another red-hot deal where the investors didn't care about valuation. Deal price at 21 bucks, but the stock opened for trading at 47, with Shake Shack literally surging to 96 within the next few months. Of course, it pulled back painfully after that and took many years to temporarily revisit those levels. Even now, it's stuck at 70. So the bottom line, it's about time for Wall Street promotion machine to crank up and start luring you back into the IPO casino. Luring is L-U-R-I-N-G. I have a Philadelphia accent that's really bad. And there's going to underprice these deals, which is why I expect Kava to surge right out of the gate. Doesn't mean you should buy it. It means you need to be careful and cognizant unless you can get in on the deal itself, which I think is going to be very rewarding. More on this IPO after the break. Coming up, this fast casual eatery is going public. Can a Greek food IPO take your portfolio to the Acropolis? Kramer invents democracy next. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is 
constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. today I told you how we could be nearing the beginning of a brand spanking new IPO cycle. Where the brokers try to lure you back into these deals with attractive merchandise at discount prices. I think the Kava IPO coming later this week could roar right out of the gate precisely because it'll have the Wall Street promotion machine behind it. So what is Kava exactly? How curious and, yes, cautious should you be about the stock? Okay, Kava is this Mediterranean-style restaurant chain with 263 locations across 22 states and D.C. This makes them the number one national player in the fast, casual Mediterranean category. More than half of those locations used to be Zoe's Kitchens. Remember them? Which these guys acquired back in 2018. Is the food good? Full disclosure, I am not a big fan. My stomach always gets upset with Mediterranean food. I think it's the garlic. But the rest of the Mad Money team loves it. So maybe this one's just not for me. I know the Wall Street location is a block and a half away. It's consistently packed, especially at lunch. I mean, this is actual iPhone footage taken by Dylan. Lines at the door, 12.45 p.m. Come check it out. I mean, I thought Kava was Greek for gold mine. If you're looking for a comparison, I think the closest publicly traded ones are Chipotle or Sweet Green. Just like these two, you walk the line as you order a kava, pick the ingredients to put in your bowl, salad, or your wrap, like Chipotle and uh, Sweet Green. Your meal will probably set you back about 15 bucks. It's also like them, uh, kava's got a healthy-ish, healthy-ish ethos. Look at this. Well, yeah, this is footage. This is actually done. I mean, it's like... One of these. I know you probably think it's CinemaScope and stuff. No, it's this. All right. That said, there's a huge difference between being the next Chipotle, a magnificent multi-year winner, and being the next Sweet Green, which is an utter disaster when it came public in late 2021. Chipotle has been perhaps the best-performing restaurant stock on the planet since it was spun off in 2006, rising 9.290%. That's right, 9,290% from its IPO price. Wait, maybe you want index funds? How about you just go, go where you have the bowl, right? The, uh, what is it, the, the one everyone's eating now? It's a, the, a punk, anti, anti something. Me, yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, Sweet Green came public at $28 and it's now $10 and change. I like the Chipotle deal more than the Sweet Green deal. Now, it's not enough to have a seemingly popular concept. You need great management, great numbers, and you need great staying power. So let's go to the financials. Kava posted 13% revenue growth last year, although that accelerated dramatically to 28% in the first quarter of this year. Pretty good. Not incredible. Much more impressive. They had same restaurant sales growth of 28.4%. Bye, bye, bye. That is spectacular. We love a restaurant chain with phenomenal comps. What about other restaurant-specific key metrics? There's something called the uh, average unit volume, AUV, which measures the revenue per location. For Kava, came in at 2.4 million last year, 2.55 million last quarter. Those are very exciting numbers. Superb even. Unfortunately, 
Harvest a bit lacking in profitability. The House of Pain. They lost $59 million last year. Although the losses are shrinking, they only lost $2.1 million last quarter. I like the trajectory. Much better than the $20 million loss in the same period a year ago. If you're more charitable and you're looking at the earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, Harvest in the black. Much better than something like Sweet Green, where the EBITDA is still in the red. Then there's the restaurant-level profit margin, which tells you the profitability of the stores alone, excluding corporate expenses. For Kava, that number came in at 20.3% last year, then jumped to 25.4% last quarter. It's actually very close to the number Chipotle put up last quarter, even though Chipotle is a much more mature company. It's much higher than Chipotle's restaurant-level profit margin in 2006, back when it came public. Interesting, huh? By comparison, Sweet Cream, which I've really been beating into a dead horse at this point, only had a restaurant-level profit margin of 14% last quarter. Kava's much, much better. And for the record, I didn't like my Sweet Cream salad I had yesterday either. As Bill, as Bill Smith of Renaissance Capital put it in his weekly IPO newsletter, which is much reading, Kava has Sweet Cream-like growth, but roughly Chipotle-like restaurant operating margins. I think that's a pretty darn apt description. Put it all together and Kava's numbers look excellent. I also like that everything's important. Everything important seemed to be improving in the most recent quarter, right? Remember this? So this isn't just some uh, popular regional and national restaurant story. It is a well-run business that a lot of restaurateurs are really looking to see what happens here because there's others in the pipeline if this works. Is the stock worth buying? All right, here's where it gets tricky. It's pretty hard to value something like Kava that doesn't have any earnings. And like I told you before the break, I expect the underwriters to underprice the IPO in order to engineer a nice first day pop for the stock and get the IPO game going again. So let me just say this. If you're betting on Kava in the hopes of it being the next Chipotle, a stock that's gone from $22 to north of $2,000 in less time than Mad Money's been on the air, you should remember how Chipotle's stock actually behaved not long after it came public. Hey, people forget, but Chipotle was a real roller coaster for the first few years after it was spun off by McDonald's. While the stock doubled in the first day of trading, then more than tripled from, from there through its highs in December of 2007, peaking at $155, it ultimately collapsed when we got hit with the financial crisis. Do you know this thing plummeted all the way to $36 at its lows in November of 2008? At that level, the stock was trading below where it opened right after it came public. I don't think we're going to get hit with another horrific uh, financial crisis that obliterates something like Kava. I'm just trying to point out that even the mighty Chipotle gave you a much better buying opportunity if you waited a couple of years. Why point this out? Because I expect Kava to absolutely roar on Thursday. House of pleasure. I'm betting the IPO prices above the proposed range, maybe at 21 or 22 or even 23. (laughs) Then I wouldn't be surprised if it doubles from those levels very quickly. Although I wouldn't expect necessarily that the newly elevated price to last. So unless you can get a piece of the actual IPO on the IPO, I recommend holding off on this one. And please, if you do want to buy Kava in the aftermarket, I'm begging you, please use limit orders, not market orders. Protect yourself. In fact, you should always be using limit orders because you have no control over the price you pay with market orders. Here's the bottom line. While I don't like Kava the restaurant, again, because of the garlic problem in my stomach and Pepto and Alka, I do like Kava the business. It's just that I'm wary of paying too much for Kava the stock. If the IPO is a hit on Thursday, you might want to wait for it to cool off before you even think of pulling the trigger. Let's go to Bob in Vermont. Bob. Hi, Jim. Uh, My question is about the tale of two stocks. Uh, The first stock is Canada Goose, and the second stock is uh, Fuel Cell Energy. 
what I did last week was I liquidated the Canada Goose because I've been holding that for like four years, watched it go up, came down. It was at the zero mark, and I decided to dollar cost average in because the fuel cell energy is about at the halfway point of where I made my initial uh, put there. So my question is, how did I do? Well, I tell you, I like higher quality stuff. Fuel cell energy, low quality, moves in a fortune. Canada Goose is a yesteryear company. Why don't we just buy Lululemon? What's the matter with buying Lululemon? I think we buy Lululemon. They're going to have the best numbers. Lou, Lou, and Lemon. Okay, all three of them. How about Gary in Nevada? Gary. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. What's uh, up, Gary? I'm, I'm retired, and I'm considering adding a consumer packaged goods food company to my portfolio. Okay. And company company easily beat the last three quarters earning estimates and has an industry leading 3.85% dividend, which seems very secure. And I'd like to know your thoughts on CAG, Conagra. I like Conagra. I like Conagra. I like, you know, we sit around with the boom chicka, boom chicka when we watch into Netflix and stuff. I didn't like the diplomat at all. I didn't know that was even worse, but boy, was the boom chicka good. Anyway, I think Conagra, I think uh, the swim gyms. Oh, no, they upset my stomach, too. I, I have a very sensitive stomach. What can I tell you? I think Kava could be a hit when it debuts on Thursday, but it could get too hot. So we got to be very careful. I don't want you to pull the trigger if it opens up big. Much more man money ahead. This market has had a tremendous run since the October lows. So is it time to take a pause and reevaluate where we could be headed? I'm going off the charts to see what the technicals are saying. Then I'm excited about AI, but I'm also a little tad concerned. I'll share with you why I think it's important to shred lightly. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. Well, this market's now at a spectacular run. And even though we got an encouraging CPI number today, I liked it. One that gives the Fed more justification for holding off on additional rate hikes. You got to wonder, if maybe the rally's kind of in danger of running out of steam. You know that's in my head. In moments like these, I always like to take a more quantitative approach, though. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Jessica Inskip. She's a brilliant technician. She was the first woman on the active trading desk at Fidelity before becoming the director of advanced trader strategy at Merrill Self-Direct. And now she's the director of product and education at Options Play, as well as being the co-host of the new market maker podcast, which is a financial literacy program aimed at women. I know there's probably another 30, 40 things, but I got to get on with a piece. Inskip told us to remember what she said. She said, stick with the tech heavy Nasdaq 100 roughly two months ago, right ahead of a truly magnificent move. I think she's got a lot of credibility right now. She's the person you want to listen to. You know what? She's actually feeling pretty good about this market. She's not as skeptical as I am. I don't blame her. She's been right. See what she says. I want you to take a look at this weekly chart of the S&P 500 going back a couple of years. This guy points out that the S&P has cleared three important milestones at this point, and it's throwing off a ton of bullish signals. One, when the S&P broke out above 4,100, the early December high, that also coincided with a breakout from a cup and handle pattern, and I love the cup and handle patterns. This is one of the most reliably bullish formations of the book. It looks like a little cup followed by a little handle of sideways action, and it tends to produce powerful runs higher. We documented this over multiple years, and it almost always works. Two, when the S&P broke out above the 4,195, it's February 2nd high, Instagram says we were dealing with a FOMO 
That's right, a FOMO-fueled rally that triggered broader participation. At that point, lots of people realized stocks had gotten their group back and wanted a piece of it. Before then, lots of investors had been positively more, positioned more defensively. Lots of cash on the sidelines and the money market funds. Since then, much of that cash has flowed back into stocks. Three, yesterday, and that's just really important because we're dealing with what the aftermath of yesterday, the SP broke out above 4325. That was the August 16th high. And this says that that triggered a rare bullish signal as the S&P hit a new 52-week high after a pause. Get this, because it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm with her, of 525 calendar days. Apparently, this is the first long pause since Brexit in 2016. Remember that one? According to Inskip, whenever this signal occurs historically, the market's up an astounding 92% of the time the next year. Very reliable long-term indicator, extremely bullish. All right, now, let's look at the weekly chart through the lens of something that you and I may like but think is a little hocus-pocus, but boy, does it ever work. Fibonacci levels. Remember, Fibonacci ratios are one of these weird things that repeat over and over again in nature. Think the layout of flowers, snail shells, pine cones. And for some bizarre reason, Fibonacci stuff also tends to show up in the stock charts at key levels where something's more likely to change course. In other words, remember, we're always looking for, like, a delta. Inskip points out that these Fibonacci retracement levels often coincide with major support and resistance zones triggered by other indicators. Now, look, I don't know why this stuff works. I wish I did. But I do know it's surprisingly useful. For example, with the S&P 500, we've got a floor of support at 4,312. Okay, so we'll take a look at this. We've got 4,312. Uh, well, 11.6 times, uh, which is also the 61.8% Fibonacci retracement level. As long as we hold above that level, which is down more than 50 points from here, it's easy for chart watchers to stay bullish. Remember, we're just trying to figure out whether we have some maneuver room here. Uh, the next key Fibonacci level is a 78.6% retracement, which works out to the 4535 price target that everybody thinks is really the breakout level. Uh, that's the next hurdle the SP needs to clear. In other words, the next major ceiling resistance is up roughly 4% from where we're trading right now. I want you to put it all together, and you've got a pretty positive picture. But that's not quite enough for Inskip to pound the table. So let's zoom out to the S&P 500's longer-term monthly chart, because she says there are some more important triggers to watch for going forward. First, Inskip wants to see the 12-month moving average continue to slope upward. All right. We've got that SMA. The S&P has now made four consecutive monthly closes above this level, above this line, which is bullish in and of itself. You need this if you're going to have a bull market. Just important, though, you want that 12-month moving average to be sloping upward. It tells you we're steadily moving in the right direction. Okay, we need that. At the moment, it's starting to slope upward. But that needs to continue for her to keep having confidence in the rally and for me to have confidence, by the way. Second and possibly more important, take a look at the moving average convergence divergence or MACD line at the bottom. This is down here, okay? This is a crucial momentum indicator that can help technicians spot changes in a securities trajectory before they happen. Specifically, right now, Inskip's waiting for what's known as a bullish crossover. We're so close. We're so close right here, um, where the black line goes above the red line. We've talked about this before because it's one of the most reliably positive signals out there. According to her, monthly MACD crossovers always occur at the end of bear markets, but they need to be sustained for the newborn bull market to last. Otherwise, it just ends up as veal. Funny car veal. 
Notice how the MACD made a bearish crossover in early 2022. That's where you saw that right there. And the SP500 quickly melted down, falling below its 12-month moving average by April of last year. That triggered a hideous sell-off, one that lasted until we bottomed last October. Inskip says we need to see the inverse, a bullish MACD crossover to send us into a truly robust bull market. And while the S&P isn't quite there yet on the monthly chart, It's getting very, very close. Me, personally, I never like to anticipate. I actually like to see it go through. I can't just say, ooh, it looks on the cusp. That's not how I work. But she could be right. Here's the bottom line. The charts interpreted by Jess Ginskin suggest that the S&P 500 remains in good shape. We just got some very bullish signals from the weekly chart. And within a few weeks, we get an even more bullish signal from the MACD line on the monthly chart. That's what I tell you I want to see first. So even though we've already had a tremendous run from the October lows, this market could potentially have a lot more upside, assuming everything goes right. Now, look, I really like her views. I think they make a ton of sense. Although I sure would like to see this market take a breather or two before the next move, because those who buy now are coming in on top of a staggering run, and that, to me, does not end well for those buyers. Man Money is back after the break. Coming up, what's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski deck. Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Jackie in New York. Jackie. Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. I'm a member of the club. Yes. And H-U-B-B, Hubble. Oh, what a great company. What a great company. Right in the sweet spot of just nuts and bolts electronics. Great call. Hope to hear you on the call tomorrow at 12 o'clock. David in New York. David. Hey, Jim. I just first want to say thank you. You are a multi-generational tradition in our household. Thank you. Big fan. Thank you. Uh, I want to talk about PayPal's question with the switch of the CEO by the end of the year, as well as the... Uh, There's too much competition price. in PayPal. It's just too customer. Too many companies in that same space. Let's go to Mandy in Maryland. Mandy. Hi, Jim. How are you? Thank you so much for taking my call. Oh, thank you. What's up? And thank you for passing on all your knowledge to us. Thank you. I'm still sitting on sideline. I'm afraid to get to the market, but I was thinking of VSAT. What do you think? VSAT's good if you like aerospace. May I suggest that you buy Honeywell? I think Honeywell is a cheaper stock, cheaper and great way to play aerospace to make the cockpits owned by the trust. Let's go to Smitty, North Carolina. Smitty. Jimmy, chill. Yeah. Uh, this is my third call in about three months. I feel like we're becoming friends, my friend. Anyhow, the reason for my call is um, I'm calling you about Biohaven, and when when the merger closed, I really liked what I heard. I saw you interviewing the CEO. Everything was good. Then a couple of weeks later, I read in several publications that one of their directors purchased $41 million worth of stock in the open market. My question to you is, that I, I've doubled my money on Biohaven. Should I hold, sell, No, no, I, I like what Vlad George is doing there. I think he's doing a lot of different, very special things. And uh, I got to be ch- double-check that investor buying that stock. I didn't know that. What I care about is the fundamentals. Uh, they're losing a lot of money. They've got a lot of great drugs in the pipeline. Let's go to David in Tennessee. David. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Good. How about you, David? Just uh, enjoying a cold beverage after a hard day's work. I wanted to ask you about the company uh, Transocean. Uh, Transocean? No. I mean, like, 
I like Halliburton for the trust. I think Halliburton's got the best in bet. Really, at this point, very cheap. Had a big move today. All right, let's go to uh, Ron in Utah. Ron. Hi, Jim. Booyah, Dr. Booyah. Gamer. Ron from Sandy, Utah. Okay. Jim, I want to thank you for taking my call and for all the work that you do for us thank small you. investors. Thank you. Thank very you much, very much. much. Thank you. Uh, your thoughts on... Uh, J&J since their recent spinoff of Kenview. Absolutely. I'm going to give you a little uh, preview of what I'm going to say tomorrow at my, uh, my, uh, my monthly meeting, which is that there's a very big case in California, and if it goes against J&J, J&J is going to get hit. This is on tau. Uh And so, therefore, I'm going to tell people, why don't you wait to see the results of that case before you buy any more stock? We do own it. We do have a position for the Chapel Trust. Dustin in Colorado. Dustin. Yeah, hey, Jim. Hey, Justin. It's, uh, Dustin. So I was wondering, did I find a, a gold mine or a bunch of fool's gold in advanced auto parts? I don't like advanced auto parts. I like AutoZone. That's a much better run company, AZL. That's the one you want to be in. Let's go to Jim in Florida. Jim. Jim? Jimmy Chill, Jim. Let's go to Jim. Jim? I don't hear Jim. Should I go to Chris? Chris in Connecticut, Jim. Chris. Yes. yes, Jim, thank you for taking my oh, call. Second time caller. You know, with the AI frenzy going on right now, I'm just trying to understand these stock prices. My company is C3AI. Look, I'll tell you what's going on there, okay? Tom Siebel is an old friend. He's a terrific guy, but the stock is big short squeeze. I don't want to get caught up in the short squeeze. That's a dangerous thing. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, AI, President Biden, and the Kudlow and Kramer days. What a long, strange journey it's been. It continues next. Not the other day to this most amazing message that was cruelly meant as a spoof. It included a video that was, of all people, President Biden, or so it seemed. Even though the president has been the self-professed least knowledgeable person about individual stocks, or at least he used to say that back when he was a senator, in the video he was congratulating his CEO and going on about what a terrific quarter the person had. The president then even went into a little detail about what drove the quarter. I said to myself, Joe Biden's come a long way from the Cudlow and Kramer days when I first got to know him. I had to hand it to him. Until, uh, yeah, of course, I realized it wasn't Biden at all, just a perfect AI version that someone sent me. And my, until it was obvious, I know I could have been fooled. Yet last night in a gathering of key thought leaders, I always like that term, many people expressed real concern about what generative AI might mean to the human race. Some warn that it doesn't seem so silly anymore to wonder if the machines can take over. Although given how innocuous they seem to be right now, how big could it be? Others wondered if AI might learn our weaknesses on the job and exploit them to do something nefarious. If they're only at about a third grade level right now, which is what the experts are saying, what happens if they learn what could really hurt us and settle something horrible? Then there's the endless belief that AI could cause some sort of war or outright enslave the human race. I know Terminator is a great movie and the sequel's even better, but I can't see any other reason to worry about this. But let's go back to that fake Joe Biden thing, okay? The endorsement of the pretty darn good stock. 
You know why? Because the technology is so good right now that I think it's only a matter of time before we constantly fool by the stuff. I had a bottle signing last week for Fosforo, Mescal, not tequila. Someone tried to get me to endorse a corrupt stock, one that's been shut down by the authorities. I wouldn't bite. I'm not going to hold up some sign. In the new world, though, who needs me to agree with the angry soul who wanted me to do nothing more than manipulate the market? Just use AI to create a video where I say great things about some bogus stock. I, this is terrible. I know what it would look like, because in that same video, the one with the fake President Biden, I also saw myself recommending this stock. I mean, it was my horrendous Philadelphia accident that gave him away. Thank heavens for my AL doppelganger that he was chatty, not informational. But let's think about this. Is the real fear Skynet from Terminator, or is it maybe a fake presidential candidate from either party who says something so outrageous that it can't be put back in the box? Because why let the truth get in the way of a good story? I'm honestly more concerned about these deep fakes ruining our already shaky political system. Of course, you don't need AI to fabricate situations that can start wars. I don't like t- talking about this, but Hitler staged a skirmish between the Poles and the Germans to justify his invasion of Poland. He just dressed a bunch of Germans up in Polish uniforms and had them killed. Now, you're never supposed to analogize to the Nazis, ever, and I get that. But AI misuse could be the most serious challenge we've seen to democracy in ages, as there are no checks and balances in the media these days. If you're worried about AI, the fear should be about creating a media environment where it will be almost impossible to tell what's true from what's false. Because if there's one thing generative AI is great at, it's telling believable lies. Ones that we might not have time to debunk too close to the election. Ones that truly spin out of control in a truly viral way. And given how highly partisan our environment is right now, well, I just say that's the last thing we need. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.